such a fear of you calling and telling us that this wasn't the church for us and that this new space wasn't accessible and this wasn't gonna work. And I remember saying to Jeff, like, Michael's gonna call and say, sorry guys. And you were asking how to make it accessible. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. We hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back to part two of Jeff and Kelly's story. We're so thankful that you're listening. Um, hey, if you haven't listened to part one, you probably need to listen to that one first. Um, listen to their story, how they met, and really how we got to this point. And um, you could totally keep listening and, and hear uh, what God has done and, um, you know, the highs and lows that will continue to happen. But uh, it really makes sense if, if you jump back to, to hear the fullness of it, um, because what you're going to hear in this episode isn't their whole story and it isn't their whole life and it isn't their whole marriage and it isn't their identity. It's a part of, um, of what is happening and, and what they've gone through and what God has brought them through. Um, but man, you really have to listen to the beginning to, to understand the fullness of it. And so pause right now. If you haven't listened to it, jump back. Um, I can't stop you, but um, I strongly encourage it so that we can move into part two. And so you guys have just shared really the the scary, kind of the worst nightmare scenario for parents is when you you don't know what you're doing, right? And you know you don't know what you're doing, but then there's a piece of you, that intuition, you know, it really is that God given, you know, intuition of like something is off and you just found out that the boys, um, have SMA and life is already kind of chaotic. You know, when you find out you have twins, like pregnancy will do that, then twins will do that. So there's a lot going on, including like a change of, of where you're living. And so share with us a little bit, kind of what went on around that, what was faith like, you know, were you guys still living in Alexandria? How, how did the change start to happen and really just kind of push us through, okay, then what, what came next? And so where are you guys right now? What is faith like? What is church like? All that. So, yeah, we transitioned from two-bedroom condo to which is where our whole lives were, um, our church life was, our jobs were, to moving out to Leesburg in Loudoun County. Uh, to a split-level house, and also, you know, we had gone back with our twins to our former church. Just didn't feel the same, didn't feel like we fit in or were missed or, you know. Yeah, because we took some time off when we initially had the twins, yep. um, just because life is hard. Which is reasonable. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and, and we were still in that transition of, like, we, we were only... 30, 40 minutes from this church in Fairfax that we were going to. Um, so do we keep plugging into this church in Fairfax? Do we go somewhere new? Um, and I think that's where like the transition happened. And then that first time we went back, it was just this like empty feeling of we had poured so much into this church for so many years, yeah. you know, sitting and serving every single Sunday. 
and then made to feel guilty on a Sunday where we went away for the weekend and couldn't serve. You know, it was like, what do, what do you mean you're not going to serve? Like it wasn't, there wasn't this two month ahead of time where it was like, hey, I'm not going to be here sure. this Sunday. Sure. Um, you know, running the small group in like out of our own home, all of those things. And then uh, we show up this Sunday after having, you know, maybe a, a month or two after having the twins. And it was just like, nobody came up to us. Nobody really spoke to us. Wow. Like, it was just like, we existed as like, I don't know, somebody who had never been there before, sure. which is also how you shouldn't treat a first time guest, but sure. you know, yeah, beyond yeah, the point. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. And it was kind of then that I was like, okay, I think we need to find a church in Leesburg. Wow. Like we need to find a community that's closer, like this sealed the deal that this door is shut, Yeah, you know, and it was a lot like, you know, this was a, a church campus that we'd helped plant and start. And we were like, you know, we gotta, we gotta move on from this. Yeah. Um, Which I don't want people to miss like how hard that is. It's not just getting married, which which changes things, right? And you want to have the firm foundation that you guys talked about earlier. Pregnancy, twins, you know, which is a whole other level. You know, our friends who have twins talk about it's not like addition, it's multiplication, yeah. right? It's like the the tension and the pressure and all of it. It's not just like it's plus one, it's like times two, you yeah. know. But also then struggling in the church community and, and feeling like, man, we don't fit and fe- and feeling like you're not seen, that your value is only what you can give to the church community. That is equally painful because there's this like loneliness that comes with that. And also you guys know, cause you grew up in this area, finding a church is really hard and it's not like you go, okay, well this one, didn't care for us the right way. They don't see us. Like we're going through this crazy thing of, of having kids and figuring all this stuff out and they're not even there. It's also like, can we even find another church? There are people who drive 30, 40, 50, over an hour to get to collective. And if you ask me, is that a good idea? I'm like, I don't think that's a great idea <laughs> because like it's hard to be fully involved. Yeah. But at the same time, like and you know, five years ago, I'd been like, "No, there's totally find a church in West Virginia or Pennsylvania where you live." I don't, I don't give that advice anymore. Yeah. And it's not arrogant, and I'm not saying like there aren't other good churches. It's just saying like once you find a place, it's really hard to find another. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there was enough like past hurt too that it like officially sealed the deal. That yeah. it was like, okay, we're we're headed out of here, yeah. and this is we're done with this phase of life. Yeah. Um, that and we sucks. started getting involved in a church in Leesburg, um, which was great for our souls. Yeah, you know? good. And I think kind of circling back to that initial day of diagnosis, um, that preliminary diagnosis, you know, I remember too the hardest thing about the ride home was all of our family who was waiting. Like they knew sure. we were at neurologist appointments and they knew, um, I think again, like everybody knew something was up. Um, and we also, I had a nephew who was born just a couple months after the boys and was starting to surpass the sure. boys in milestones. Sure. So everybody was on high alert that like something was off here, but again, we didn't like know the magnitude of it. And when we got in the car, we had to call everybody mm-hmm. and tell yeah. them that like, this is what they think that, you know, this is what the doctors are saying it is. And it's, it's bad, you know, like it's, it's a really grim diagnosis. So that was hard, like just yeah. making those calls. Um, I think true to Jeff and I's personality, the next day we had to come back and meet with the pulmonologist because um, we'd later learned that like the pulmonology plays the biggest role in wow. SMA. Um, and after that, we went to the zoo. Um, <laughs> and it was just like, we were like, well, 
we're going to make memories. Yeah. Like we sure. don't, we don't know sure. what tomorrow holds and we don't know what's going to happen, but today we have them and today we're going to the zoo because they've never yeah. been to the zoo. You know, they were six months old. They were in the stroller. We cried the whole time, yeah. you know, we walked around the zoo. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but into this day, that's like our little tagline about when we go out and try stuff because yeah, making memories. Making memories. Yeah. Sometimes totally it's suck. bad. It might be awesome. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and then the next time we went to the zoo, I kind of had to get over those feelings of the sure. last time I was here. I was sure. convinced I was losing my boys and, you know, nothing else was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then kind of life kind of became a whirlwind for those next couple months. So the boys were diagnosed and um, end of March, early April of 2016. And from April to, I guess, the rest of our life. But um, yeah. June especially was kind of just this like high-speed role um, because then we started digging into this clinical trial that this neurologist dropped on our yeah. way out the door, yeah. you know, because she was told there was no cure, there was no treatment, there's nothing we could do. Um, essentially, take them home and love them mm -hmm. for as long as you have them for. Um, but then we started digging into this trial and we started realizing that kids were making progress instead of losing abilities. Yeah. Um, and she was pushing for a trial at Duke. And then my sister kind of swooped in, and, and she's the one in the family who does the best with crisis. Um, she swoops in, and she picks up all the pieces, and she takes care of everybody, and, and she kind of gets a plan rolling. And um, she was the one that was researching all these clinical trials in all wow. these different locations all over the world. I mean, at one point, like I was contacting Jeff's cousin in Switzerland, and I was like, hey, there's a, a trial yeah. in Switzerland. If I can get there, could we stay with you for wow, a few days? Yeah. You know, because like wow. we just didn't know, but like it was at that point where we we're like, we have to do, do whatever. something. Yep. And it was also the first time of, of now many where we went against what doctors told us to do um, because this neurologist at Boston, you know, she was doing her job, but she also has hundreds of other patients that she's seen. And she was pushing for Duke because Duke was the closest location. And it was like, you know, we'd get a response and we'd get an answer, but it would sure. take a couple of days. Um, and my sister started communicating with uh, a clinical trial at Boston. And things were moving really fast because the, the biggest piece with this trial was that the boys had to be screened before they were six and a half months old, which they they were unofficially diagnosed a couple of days after their six-month appointment, yeah. which meant we had to go for blood work and get an official diagnosis. And then we had to get to Boston all kind of within a two-week wow. time mm -hmm. frame. While still kind of sh like struggling and grappling with this idea that like we were just told that we were going to lose the boys, that they yeah. were going to lose all abilities. If yeah. if if they lived to be two, they would have no physical movements. They would have a trach. They you know wouldn't have the ability to speak. They would have none of these wow. options of life. Was there a tension of the di diagnosis saying hey, you might not have this time, and then going, do we want to spend it? traveling to doctors that might not have a solution. Was there a tension there? Or were you guys, as soon as you guys find out, you're like, we're gonna fight every single moment. We've, if it's two years of fighting, we're gonna fight for two years. Instead of just the, you, you know, taking your kids home and just loving them and, and letting it happen. I mean, I, I know where it's at now, but like in that moment where you guys are like, no, we're just, we're going all out. We're gonna, we're gonna give everything we got to fight. Yeah, and I mean, that was kind of from day one after diagnosis, you know, we get this crushing blow um, pray over our marriage, like we said in the last episode. But then, you know, going to the zoo, having fun, calling family, all these just like really hard things. And then, you know, having a couple of these, we were given hope, you know, a little bit of hope on top mm -hmm. of the crushing blow. Sure. But then instant turndowns from a couple hospitals. Mm -hmm. And Kelly's sister doing all that research and giving more hope because Boston was interested in bringing us up and yeah. screening the boys. But then, 
she called so you know ironically the the clinical trial director was grace and you know yeah. it's like oh, oh god <laughs> <laughs> um, because this, this makes this story makes no sense yeah. <laughs> um but she so she calls me uh, and she says hey we want to screen the boys but because of this six and a half month timeline yeah. you know it was a tuesday she's like we need you here by thursday like we have like thursday is the last day that we can screen the boys you have to be here by thursday and i was like i don't care like yeah, give yeah. me seven hours and i can yeah. be in the city of boston like just get me there get them screened um because at that point too like we had started doing the research and we had started kind of digging into what this looked like. So what does it look like if, if they don't get treatment? What does it look like if they might get treatment? And it was kind of then that we started coming out of this, I don't I don't want to say fog because the fog didn't lift for a long time, but we started seeing like these glimpses of hope and it yeah. was like, okay, the boys might be trained and they might lose all ability, but here's a kid who did and he's still living life. Yeah. And like his parents are making it a good life and mm-hmm. you know here's a kid who's getting treatment and he's sitting independently and he's pushing a manual wheelchair like we can do this yeah. like whatever this looks like whether we get into the trial or we don't get into this trial like we got this like yeah. we can we can make this work um, and that's kind of like our family motto like we could just kind of tag it like yeah. we got this and yeah. like over the years as we've talked about our story and things like that you know like from day one we were like all right we got this no matter what this life with sma and mm-hmm. life with twins, <laughs> yeah. wherever we're going, we got this, let's just take it. You know, we had the instant dark days where yeah. you know, we just shut ourselves down, but we're not those yeah. type of people. We're like, no, we're gonna grab whatever hope there is and well, go with it. And I think too, to like elaborate, like at the beginning, it was really dark. Like yeah. I woke up at nights with panic attacks and yeah. you know, like a lot of tears. And you know, the one, the one night my sister and I went for a walk and you know, she was like, just, get it all out. She's like, scream, tell me, you know, she's like, be mad at me because I have three healthy kids and you get two and they're both not healthy. And and I was like, no, I was like, you know what just sucks. I was like, I don't want the reason, you know, and and now I'm like, well, shoot, here I am. Um, I don't want my story to be the reason that somebody else goes, I'm going to trust in God. And I'm like, you know, and the irony is here I am telling my story about why you should trust in God. And even though it's hard, um, because I didn't want that life. Like I didn't want a life that showed other people that they can live through hard things. Like I wanted an easy life. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Sure. And I was in straight up denial at first. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we now still with life, like we always say both of us can't be down. Yeah. Yeah. You can have a tough week or a tough day, but like (laughs) I can't like... That way we can balance off each other. The other one can pick each other up. And that all goes back to our foundation of having faith first. Because, yeah. yeah, I was in total denial. But I did have the moment finally. Like, you know, we got results. Like, it was true. Like, mm-hmm. they had this. We got to deal with it and move on. Well, and, and I think before you get into that, I think, too, for me, I knew all along something wasn't right. Yeah, like, I was, sure. I was really stuck on this idea of, like, developmentally something was off. And when they, when she gave us that diagnosis and I went home and researched it, it hit the nail on the head for every sure, single sure. point. And I, like, all those nights that I had been up wondering what's the deal, what's going on with the boys, was answered in a s- simple search of what is SMA. Wow. Because I was like, this is, there is no denying, yeah. I don't need blood work, I don't need anything sure, else. Sure. This is the boys, where yeah. Jeff then spent, like, kind of that week yeah. waiting for the results. Like, I'm not going to believe it till they call for it yeah. and, and tell me this is it. And I'm like, go ahead, this is it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, and that's, I mean, it all goes back. I mean, the saying's true. Mama knows best. She always does. Always trust it. Because that instinct, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, like, trust that. Because she knew 
before mm-hmm. the four-month appointment, the six-month appointment. She yeah. knew all along. And then even when we got diagnosed, she was already off-running with a plan. I was over here, like, pretending like this wasn't a thing. You know, like, sure. dealing with my own stuff with it. And then, yeah, then we get the official news, and I couldn't hide from it anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, so then, and, you know, this is one of those moments, like, I'm not a big crier. Sure. I, you know, and then back in episode one, I'm talking about how I used to bury my feelings, not trust anybody, not let anything out. But the same friend that darted to Kelly in West Virginia, all it took was one text. And it's, again, music. He sends me that Charlie Puth song, One Call Away. And I literally am yeah. sitting in traffic on my way to work, you know, kind of getting out of that denial phase and just the instant lyrics. I just lose it on Route 7 in the middle of traffic. Just <laughs> that tough rock exterior just went yeah. away for a minute. And I... Everything I had been holding in, the yeah. process just went like yeah. just everywhere. And then having friends that always have your back, yeah. no matter if you see them once a year, every day, you know, just knowing people that literally would do anything for you, which we didn't know how bad we were going to need people and support and help and mm-hmm. from little things to big things. Sure. And we were about to enter a phase of life that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because as, as babies, while it's complicated, it's not as complicated because you're carrying them around, yeah. right? Yeah, and nobody so, looks at them. Nobody yeah. questions. Yeah, you, you mentioned wrong. flying to Switzerland. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, with a baby and a carrier, mm-hmm. you could do that trip. Yeah. But as they would get older, that's that's when things are like, oh, this is different now. Yeah. So did you guys go immediately up yeah. to Boston? Yeah, so we flew up um, that Thursday. You know, she called on Tuesday. We had flights for Thursday. Um, and it was then that kind of initially the, the neuro at the time was like, yeah, I think there'll be great candidates. I'm going to send everything to, um, the head of the trial and then you'll hear back from us. Um, it was also when we met our pulmonologist. Um, so the pulmonologist we met in DC was just very dark, very like, you know, talks of like when they diet to when they need a trach. It was not like an if or maybe it was a certainty. Yeah. Know Um, it all. Bedside manner was terrible. Yeah. And then we met this pulmonologist in Boston and he just like gave us that encouragement that we needed. That was like, you guys can do this. Like it'll be hard, but you can do it. And you know, we're here to support you. And like he said too, he's like, you know, we realize we're, we're far away, but we have a lot of patients that travel for us. And if that's something you guys want to do. And like, it was no question for me that I was like, we Mm -hmm. will, even if these boys do not get in the trial, this will be the boys doctor because I can't. That guy is not speaking yeah. life into these yes, boys. And yes. I'm out. Well, <laughs> you know? if, they, if they go into that with that belief, how hard are they going to try? Yeah. Right? Like, there's there's an element of this where there have been some parents who've shared, like, they had these doctors. We have friends that are going through this right now where their first doctor was not mm-hmm. positive. And, like, it's not delusional. Yeah. Right? You don't want a doctor who's delusional. Mm-hmm. But you want a doctor who's going to go, we'll do everything we can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'll fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, m- maybe these boys will be maybe the bar will go higher because of that, yeah. right? And you have to put those people, or even if it's like medically, you know, professional, you have to put people around you that think good things can happen, mm-hmm. right? Again, not delusional, but just this hope of we're going to fight for this and see what happens. So I'm glad you guys found somebody different because I can't imagine, especially if you have one who's like positive and one who's not, yeah. right? So finding that on like the same the yeah. same thing. And so you have a new doctor yeah. in Boston who's like, we got yeah. this. yeah. Kind of during this time, so we're sent home and said, you'll hear from us Mm -hmm. with this idea of like, you know, we've got to submit everything. We'll let you know if the boys qualify, but we really think they will qualify. So we kind of left with this hope of like, okay, you know, we've got a chance. 
Um, during that same time, we had the boys dedicated. So we actually baptized the boys too, because it was one of those things that was yeah. really important to family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was one of those things where we're like, well, whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. but mm-hmm. we'll yeah. baptize them. You sure. know, happy to, but it was important that we dedicated them in the yeah. church that we were involved in at the time. Yeah. And our pastor, you know, says, you know, kind of being burned by another church, We've got a new church home. We're established. Um, so dedicating our kids and, you know, he's also been involved in this diagnosis journey with us, okay. the early phase of it, and knowing us as parents and knowing our boys. And so the we're pro- only about three weeks in at this yeah. point. Like wow. it's still it's dark days. Early. It's still Sure, very, sure. Yeah. And the prayer he prayed over them, you know, which we do actually have recorded uh, until Kelly's mom started losing it crying. But <laughs> he said, whether it's through, you know, the power of science, doctors, miraculous healing, God's power, you know whatever it might be, just, you know, have your hands on these boys mm-hmm. and what's to come. And just, I mean, every time I listen to it, you know, like just, you just crack. yeah, you just lose <laughs> it. Cause like, it was such an important moment in Yeah, what's about to come because prayer and our foundation just continue. Mm-hmm. It just continues to show itself on these boys and they are true miracles from God. Yeah. And we have literally watched these miracles every mm-hmm. you know week, every yeah. day of their lives. Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, around that same time, we got a call from Boston, and they told us that the boys don't weigh enough. That was one of the exclusion criteria that they had to weigh a certain amount, but they were going to give us uh, an extension to get their weight up. Oh, my gosh. So we just start, like, feeding them around the clock. I mean, I was yeah. – and at that point, they were still eating by mouth. Yeah. Um, but they weren't able to take in the quantity because they didn't yeah. have the physical strength to take in the quantity, which is why they were underweight. And then it was like, still, they were just like missing the mark ever so slightly. And then again, we had to take them. So they called and they said, would you consider placing NG tubes? Which is, you know, yep. I was like, sure, what's another one? Because, you know, Bryce had one in the NICU and I yep. remember thinking it was awful and, sure. and so traumatic. So we took them overnight to a hospital in Fairfax. Um, I don't even know why we were in Fairfax, yeah. but that's where they sent us um, to have NG tubes placed and to keep them overnight. And it was that first experience that we had to tell the doctors what SMA was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I was just like, what? Like, I barely know what yeah. it is. Like, we are three weeks in I only know what that website says and here I am educating you on what SMA is and what and then all night long there was alarms going off mm-hmm. and all yeah. these things happening like on the boys monitors and I was like what is what's going on yeah. like why are these going off what is happening like I thought we just like I knew they were missing milestones but I didn't realize how much their bodies were already being affected by SMA. Yeah. We did a sleep study um, because a lot of kids with SMA need BiPAPs Mm -hmm. um, to help them breathe. And we couldn't get results from the doctor. He wouldn't, this pulmonologist had these reports laying on his desk and wouldn't read them to get us the equipment that we needed. Uh, So once we got the NG dupes placed, we had to have a home nurse come to the house and check in with us. Um, And she was just like an angel of God that appeared at our door (laughs) because she she made the calls that I didn't know how to make. Like, yeah. it, you know, it was at that time that I didn't know that I had to fight a doctor to tell them they sure, were wrong. Sure, that you could. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I just thought I listened to them. And, yep. you know, and don't get me wrong, I listened to a lot of doctors. Yeah. So, but like, there are sometimes they come through and they're not the best. And Collective has incredible doctors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but yes, sure. like you, you, I mean, honestly, and I, and I would even say like as a father, like understand that you, you feel that insecurity of like, I, I'm, I can't take it. They know more. Like, and, and it's hard to know what do I fight for. But, man, it, like, pushes on mm-hmm. all of that. All that 
the doubt, all the insecurity, all the fear, like when one, when you have kids, but also when you go through trials like this, it's what Satan does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's just going to start poking yeah. and say, well, you don't know more than they do. Yeah. You can't fight them. Look, they're, prof- they're busy. Yeah. They've got worse scenarios on their, on their table. Um, and it really, it's just a lie that Satan puts in your head to stop fighting. Yeah. You know, she was the one who made the calls, finally got the reports read from the sleep study, and they were having like 20 to 30 episodes a night of stopping breathing. Yep. Yep. And he just didn't read it. And I was like, what What are we doing here? Um, and she also then would weigh the boys at home, so I didn't have to take them to the pediatrician nice. anymore. Yeah. And she would just wait. She would like, okay, let's finish the feed, Yeah. and then we'll weigh them. Mm. Yeah. You know, let's... Let's wait here, and I'll, I'll let you finish this bottle before yep. we put them on the scale. And it was just like, because we needed every single ounce. Like, yep. mathematically, they can't gain that much weight. Yeah. But if we can give them an eight-ounce bottle and they just finished it before yep. they pee. Set them on the scale. Yeah. 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 Gosh, that's so good. Um, so, you know, she, so James met the weight. Um, I called Boston. I told him he qualified. Everything was good. Bryce was still a couple ounces underweight. Um, so they gave us another extension. They gave us a few more days. Wow. Um, which is all like things that don't make sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. like people didn't get these things. So it was on a Monday, I think, um, and uh, Bryce had met weight. So I called them and I said, this is his weight. Here's the, the papers getting faxed over by the nurse today. Um, and she's like, okay, you know, it's just the clinical coordinator, Grace. She's like, let me tell everybody who needs to know and I'll call you back later. And I was like, are they going to change it again? Are they going to up it? What's going to happen? Are they just going to take one? Which, you know, we'll, we'll get to a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so Jeff got home from work and... Um, so we just lay hands on him. We're sitting there on our couch in Leesburg and just put our hands on Bryce and pray over him. You know, James is already in. Yeah, he's the least of our problems now. And here comes God knocking again. We get the phone call mid-prayer mm-hmm. that Bryce has just been accepted in. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was kind of like, okay, the boys are both in the trial. The next hurdle we kind of had to overcome um, was it was a blinded trial. Um, oh so gosh. it was a double blinded trial. So for every three kids, two kids got drug and one didn't. Um, and in science, the boys are the perfect science experiment. Mm-hmm. You've got two kids with identical DNA, um, that both have this diagnosis. Like yep. if you want to figure out if your drug works, there is no better way than to test it on, you know, two kids with identical DNA and yep. say one gets drug and one doesn't. So it was blinded for a year, but at the bottom line, we were like, okay, we can do anything for a year. Yeah. Even if sure. even if one or both doesn't, you know, do not get drugged, then at least after that year while we're still waiting on approval, you know, we'll sure. get drugged. Sure. Um, so then we are headed to Boston for our first trip. Um, the boys still have their NG dupes at this time. Um, we actually pulled them, and this is like hindsight, so stupid. We pulled them right before we got on the plane because we didn't want people looking at them. Yeah, sure. Uh, which, you know, now I'm like, who, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But we pulled them because we're like, okay, they were still eating. So we're like, they'll eat enough. They're in the trial. You know, we'll be fine. So then a couple days later, they, they take James first. Um, we had to spend the night in the hospital. It was an injection that goes into the spine. So they pull a little bit of the spinal fluid out and they replace it with the drug. So I stay in the hospital with James that night. Everything is fine. Um, Bryce comes the next morning um, and Bryce had lost weight. Sure. You know, because we had pulled the NG tube and now he wasn't eating as much. And, uh, you know, a few days had passed. So now he's under that weight mark that he needs to be. And I was so worried that he wasn't, like they were gonna weigh him that morning and be like, oh, he's underweight, we can't do this anymore. 
And then at the same time, um, Grace brings me, so we had these binders and it was like all these questions that I had to answer, how much time they were on their BiPAPs, how much did they eat, you know, did they have anything, were they sick, all, all this like stuff that I had to answer. And at the top of the page, it had their ID numbers, which was connected to a bag that either held the drug or didn't hold the drug. I obviously didn't get to see those bags, but that's what it meant. It was like, so then that number connected to everything in yeah. their file. And I had both the boys' binders at that point, and Grace brings me a new binder for Bryce and says, Bryce was re-randomized this morning. This is his new number and new binder. And, you know, at the time, I was like, okay, we are believing that God re-randomized these boys because Mm -hmm. somebody got the placebo. Sure. And now they are both getting drunk. Like, that was our, like, in our brain, like, okay, this is is how we have to look at it because otherwise it will eat us apart. I mean, it eventually still eats me apart. But um, at the moment, we were like, you know, this is God playing a hand. And she, and I was like, oh, what happened? You know, what's what's wrong? And in my head, I'm like, they didn't. he didn't meet the weight, so now they're going to get sure, a placebo until sure. he meets the weight. You know, I made up all these, or they're twins, and he's not getting the drug anymore. Yeah. And, um, and she's like, I, I don't know. They didn't tell me. They just said, you know, they re-randomized him. And I was like, okay. So then they weigh him, and she was like, oh, he's lost some weight. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, we pulled the NG tubes. He's not eating as much. And then she was like, oh, okay. And like everything just like continued. I was wow. like, okay, okay, you know, we're, we're, we're getting somewhere. Um, so then they, they take him in to do his like procedure. Um, and they say, okay, mom, like go grab a cup of coffee, you know, come back in like an hour or so and we'll be done. And I just like, I will never forget walking out of that hospital and just crying. Because, you know, and luckily you're outside a children's hospital and sure. everybody's crying. So sure. nobody looks at you yeah. too crazy. Yeah. Um, but I was just like, I felt this like relief of like three weeks ago, we were given no hope at a future with these boys. And I have no idea if they're given, they're getting the drug right now. But like, all I know is that we're given a chance. Yeah. Like we are given a chance at a future with these boys. Yeah. So that led to us flying to Boston every other week. Wow. With twins, with, you know, we didn't even mention yet when we got that home health nurse, she advocated for us. I mean, there was all this equipment we needed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two kids with SMA. We needed a suction machine. We needed a cough assist to replicate yep. a cough motion for yep. them. Their BiPAPs. Their, I mean, it's just. Pulse ox. <laughs> that single family house in Leesburg started to close in on us because mm-hmm. it was two of everything. Yeah. Uh, we had oxygen tanks. We had wow. yeah. oxygen concentrated. You know, it was just. And then we had to learn how to use all this. So Yeah, I mean, they sent, like, a respiratory therapist out to the house to, like, deliver this stuff. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with all this stuff? And he's like, well, this will alarm if this happens. And I was like, what What do I do if it alarms? Yeah. Like, nobody has taught me any of this. And I just started crying. And this poor man was just like, this was he's not. just a delivery guy. <laughs> 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 I just he's delivered. And I was like, yeah. what if their oxygen starts beeping that it's low? What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Like, nobody had... You know, so I feel like everything happened so fast sure. and we were thrown into it so quickly. I think the trial ended before we moved to Maryland. Yep. Well, it didn't end. Um, Rolled over, yeah. Yeah, so then the boys are enrolled in the trial for about four months. Um, so what should have been a 10-month to 12-month um, blinded study, um, they actually closed. The boys are the last two enrolled in the trial wow. period before the trial closed. Wow. Um, and then they closed the trial completely because they realized it was unethical to keep kids in a blinded study because of how much yeah. progress kids were making Correct. on this Yeah, trial. that makes sense. So we re- like they realized that the kids that were untreated were dying yeah. and the kids who were treated were starting to make um, progress and it just wasn't ethical to, yeah. to keep mm-hmm. doing this. So we rolled into this open label study, which meant both boys would be getting the drug and it meant we knew 
you know, eight, nine months earlier um, that they would both be getting the drug. But I was such a nut comparing the two sure. every step of the way. Sure. You know, like they would come out of the procedure room and we'd be rolling them over, yeah. checking we the band-aid. Oh, yeah. looking, the size of the hole, you know, like it. trying yeah. to figure out like, did they, does it look the same? Does it look different? You know? Yeah. And in hindsight, we, we, missed completely that they were both getting the drug like we yeah. missed wow. them making advancements because wow. um, when we came home after their first visit they both downed an eight ounce bottle mm-hmm. and they were like lucky to get three and four ounces at a time before kind of falling asleep wow. but i was so busy comparing the sure. two yeah. sure trying to because i was like they're only one's going to get drug like well, scientifically it makes sense yes statistically only one should get the drug yep. um that i missed the window that they were both getting drug wow. um so we continue going to Boston, um, but around this time was when we realized we were going to need more family support. How old were the boys at this time? So they were about a year and a half. We've been making this trip to Boston now every four months to, to maintain the drug. But we're realizing that like we're not really able to get involved in anything in Leesburg because our life just doesn't allow it. Sure. I've got these two kids with severe medical needs. I can't really leave the house because I can't do it on my own because... Yep. By this point, the boys had lost their swallow. Um, they had a severe illness right around their first birthday, and they lost their, the ability wow. to swallow. Um, so, you know, I've got these kids that are getting G-tube feds. They have to be on BiPAP when they're sleeping, and when they're only a year old, they're still taking one to two naps a day. Like, I don't have the luxury of having kids skip a nap because yep. respiratory-wise, they tank. Yeah if they skip a nap. So their their lungs fill with mucus and I've got to do extra treatments to clear those wow. lungs. Um, they're at this point still on a pulse ox around the clock all day to measure their oxygen and their heart rates. Um, so I'm not able to make friends. And the friends that I, I had, they saw the darkest time and they didn't know how to move past that. Sure, sure, yep, uh, yep. So they, they were with me when we thought we were gonna lose the boys. Yep. And then when we all of a sudden weren't going to lose the boys, it was like, how do we move forward? Yeah. And, you know, it was the sense of like, they want to complain about their kid throwing their eggs on the floor. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I can't complain to yep. you. Yeah. And it's like, but I need to feel normal. Yeah. Like, yeah, I wish I had your problem. Sure. But I don't. And it's okay, but we can't be friends if you're just going to sit yeah. there and be like, your life is so hard, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we just kind of realized that, it wasn't going to work with us staying in Leesburg. Um, my sister is kind of the biggest source of our help. Um, so we knew we wanted to move closer to her. Yeah. And uh, so we kind of looked, you know, we weren't quite ready to sell our house yet, but we toyed with the idea. We looked up near where her sister was living up here. We found a foreclosure house that most normal people they walk in would have walked right out. I mean, we're talking just total destruction but we were like oh we saw some promise and but we were With like everything you, know, you else yeah. have going on i mean we're talking holes in the ceilings water damage everything you know but it just, i think it was more that we knew we couldn't sell our house yeah. fast enough because it was such a good deal yeah. oh, that sure. we could like, never buy it like it didn't sure. cross our minds that we couldn't flip the house like yeah. that would be too rational yeah it was more that we were like oh we can't get our house ready and yeah. sell it in order to let a bank loan us more money. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, and we even had a contractor friend come with us and we all saw the vision mm-hmm. and saw the good bones of this house. And, but yeah, like Kelly said, the timing was just off. Mm-hmm. So we go back to Leesburg life, a few more months, table it. But then we're like, all right, we're ready now. We can sell our house. We got it all prepped. You know, timing was right. So we have her sister just post to Facebook like, Hey, 
anybody looking to sell, we kind of wanted to go off the table and not pay more money to a realtor and all the different things. Yeah. See what happens. So this uh, woman reaches out to her and says, hey, we were going to flip this house, um, but we have some health complications in our family. Her husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor, um, and he was going to do all the work. And so we came up, met with them, told them our story, told them their story, and then boom, here you I go. I think you're forgetting that it's the same house. It's the same it's freaking house. <laughs> house. Yeah, it's gracious. <laughs> but it's the same house. But she actually said it. Um, you know, I feel like we were brought together for a reason. And, mm-hmm. you know, to make a long story short, they decided to go through the flip with us. So And they flipped it at cost. Yeah, at cost. Like we friend, came up with a number and we're like, yeah. this is all the more we can spend. And it was just a trust. Like there was no yeah, total there trust. was no legal God documents no beforehand wow. and And her friend was a realtor. Wow. Husband was a contractor. Went through, did all the work, they did wow. the paperwork. And we were able to build this house. We'll flip you know, got it for the boys. For the boys. I mean, we had no transition points. We widened hallways. We mm-hmm. did one flooring throughout because we were already predicting what was to come. We had mm-hmm. wheelchairs, we had two kids, we had, you know, it was perfect. It was meant to be like seeing that vision, same house, just all come together. And now we're right down the street from our biggest supporter and helper with these two kids. Wow. So, mm-hmm. The last piece, you know, we have this amazing team in Boston during all this and still to this day have them, but we had to have something more of a formality down here. Yeah, our pediatrician at the time was like, you need to see this doctor. And yeah. I think she just didn't realize how well plugged in we were in Boston yet. Sure. So she's like, you know, just see this pulmonologist, go see him. Yeah. And I think it was just more her. Yeah, because um, we needed that respiratory doctor down yeah. here. Yeah. Someone, to, and well known and everything. And we meet with him and he's like, well, you guys aren't gonna need me. <laughs> like, cause he knew what we yeah. already had structured. Yeah. Wow. But he said a line that has stayed with us forever. Mm-hmm. Um, just another one of those moments. And he said, you know, your boys have a long, hard road ahead of them. He's like, but it's going to be just that long. And just hearing that after, you know, scaling back to when we thought these kids wouldn't live to see two and, Mm -hmm. or whatever life might've rung for them, but just hearing another doctor and another hope moment, another God moment, like knowing where we were headed with these two. So you guys move leaving another church community Mm -hmm. that, meant a lot yeah and um the pastor of that church is a friend of mine as well and you guys went from being burnt being seen as a number instead of a person and you experience something good again which most people very rarely get one you guys got two but there's another change so before you kind of get people through like what is it like to move to frederick and what comes next what was your faith like having another transition knowing, crap, we've, we're going to have to figure something else out when it comes to church. I think at that point, we were already struggling with what does church look like yeah. for us. Because sure. at this point now, the boys are a year and a half. Um, you know, when we finally move here, it's, it's right before their second birthday. But when we were kind of making this transition, we weren't really able to go to church. Yeah. Um, because medically, by this point, the boys had needs. So we couldn't leave the boys in kids' ministry without us. And we had a nurse who worked with us loosely um, here and there. And, like, you know, she would come in maybe on a Sunday morning, and she would keep them so that we could go once in a while. But we were already struggling with, like, how do we go to church? What does this look like? How would you even find a church that could care for the kids? 
you could show up at a church with your boys and not even be able to get inside. Yeah, I mean, that's that's our life, is like anywhere I go, I am researching, is the place accessible? Yeah. Can I get in the door? What does it look like? Like I am looking at all routes. Like I am going on Instagram and I'm looking at other people's tagged photos going, is there a step there? Is there yeah. stairs over here? What does this walkway look like? I mean, that is my life anyways. Yeah. Just trying to research like, you know, how do we do this? And so I think at that point we realized that like, no matter what, we weren't going to church. We can't leave them with somebody else and say, hey, make sure they stay alive while they're sure. gone. If they start choking on their spit, here's the suction machine and, you know, good luck. Um, like faith was still there, it was still present, but it was like, we can't, we can't do it. And, and the idea was like, well, maybe if we move to Newmarket and my sister is here and maybe she can help once yeah. in a while and, and maybe we'll just go to the church that she goes to yeah. and, you know, we'll make it work and we'll figure it out and maybe the boys will just sit in service with us. You know, like at that point we were like, we need a family support system mm-hmm. and we'll figure out sure. church. Sure. We'll come back to church yep. and, we'll, and we'll figure that out. So we moved to Maryland. Uh, we moved to Newmarket in the house that we looked at once upon a time. And kind of what happened was I started church shopping because I was like, okay, I feel like we were probably here a year-ish mm-hmm. before I was like, okay, we got to figure out yeah, a way to get back to church. Yeah. You know, like it's, yeah. it, it's, it's missing. We need it. We've, we've got to figure it out. Um, so I feel like what usually happened was I would go. I would kind of scout yeah. it out. I would come I back to Jeff and, and report back to him and say, this is what I saw. This is what I found. This is what I liked. This is what I didn't like. You know, I shared that there was one church that I went into and halfway through it, I was like, nope. Not for me. I can't sit here any longer. And I left because I was like, this is not the place. This is not where we need to be. And then I walked into West Frederick Middle and I was like, oh, geez, I don't want another startup. You know, I was like, I don't, I can't. We've we've done this. We've been here. These chairs are terrible. Like, I don't want to do this again in life. But at the same time, I was like, something is here. Everywhere else I went, it was missing. Yeah, and then I checked it out. And another thing... Separately, with, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, we weren't going to. And another other. thing with this is, you know, not just having medically fragile kids, but also, like, our relationship, having a family, having two kids, we've always believed that, you know, we want to find a church that fits our family and is what heaven looks like. like 100%. So many churches are just so black and white, but, like, having different races, yep. different genders, different ages, mm-hmm. it just seeing all those different yep. facets of life come together and like that's what we want our boys to see we don't yep. want them to be sheltered because we're already now going to be in this disability community we're also going to be on the outside you know we don't yep. want people treating us different and seeing us different so mm-hmm. so yeah we landed yeah. at collective so then um kind of the idea we thought because now the boys are you know say two and a half three um i was like okay what if one of us stays with the boys in the kids ministry and the other one goes to church like that's how we'll make it work that was part of the issue too coming from like the past trauma of the other church we had a child with a disability there and the children's director told us to tell the family that we were not the church for them and i just remember that like soul crushing feeling of like what if what if we are the church where mom is fed Mm-hmm. Like, and two, Jeff and I were handling this kid fine. And we were the ones that were yeah, there yeah. every yeah. Sunday. Yeah. So, like, so he was ours. Yeah. That's my own issues is, like, I am always waiting for the ball to drop to say, this isn't sure. the church for your family. Sure. Um, so I emailed Bethany, and I kind of poured our story out. and was like, this is our story of the boys. Will you take us, more or less? Wow. Which, like, is so weird to think that, like, I even needed to do that. Yeah. Like, I feel like anybody should be able to walk into any church at any time and say, we will take you. We will take you as you are yeah. and, and come. 
Um, and Bethany didn't email back within like 12 hours. So I think I emailed her again. <laughs> uh, and I emailed her on like a Sunday too, yeah, which yeah, is totally yeah, fair yeah. that I then expected yeah. an email on a Monday. But it was like that. Like I knew something was yeah. here and that like we needed to be here. Um, and she was like, yeah, let's figure it out. And I was like, oh, Jeff, they'll take us. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. And so um, we would trade off. One of us would be in West Frederick in the back with the boys. One would be in service, and we would just keep swapping. But to be fair, we were just present. Yeah. You know, like yeah. we weren't helping with the kids' ministry. No. We weren't teaching classes because all we could give was to be present with the boys and be available if yep. they needed something medically and one of us to be in church. And we understood that. There was no expect. It felt weird for Jeff and I to not be involved, but it was also like this is all we have. Well, and I'm pretty. Sh- I do remember. I remember when you emailed us because Bethany and I talked about it. And I was like, man, like, what a wonderful thing. I don't know if we're good at this. And that was the conversation we had behind the scenes. Was we we have to figure this out, and maybe this family will walk with us as we figure this out. Yeah. One, it was a huge honor for you guys to say, hey, like, we'd like to try this here. But two, for us, it was. All right, we now that this is a family in our church, we got to figure this out. And we got to figure out how to do this really, really well versus just like, all right, well, here's the space, you know? And so even though you guys say like you weren't involved, collective isn't collective. Our kids' ministry is not kids' ministry without you guys showing up and saying, this is a place where we want our boys and us going, cool, let's figure this out. And like that, you know, you might not have been putting papers down on desk and like teaching through lessons, but. Collective kids is not collective kids without the presence of you guys. The reason why kids are cared for so well is because of of you guys. Physically, the boys' bodies are so affected. Yep. Cognitively, they are unaffected. Mm-hmm. So that's where, for us, it's like this fine line of like, you know, making sure everything is age appropriate for them, but in a way yep. that physically they can yep. participate. So. Yep. You know, church was a big part of that. We were like, okay, they need in a kids program. Like, you know, yeah, Jeff and I are listening to podcasts with different church messages or tuning into old churches and things like that. But it's like they need something too. So how do we make sure they are getting that foundation? So that's where we kind of came up with this idea of like, okay, one of us stays, one of us goes, and and we'll make it work. Kind of in that same timeline, I actually found out I was pregnant. And I was so overwhelmed by the idea of having another child. Jeff had always wanted lots of kids. And I wasn't against the idea, but the boys were a lot. Like we, at this point, we were driving three and four days a week to therapy in Hagerstown for several hours at a time. And I had to drive, I had to take their wheelchairs, I had to take a suction machine, I had to take their food pumps, I had to take their BiPAPs, like, because at that point they couldn't be in the car for more than 20 minutes without going on their BiPAPs because respiratory wise, they just started to tank their pulse oxes, all of that. And I just remember like this, like awful, awful feeling of like, how are we going to do this? I can't do this. And about two weeks later, it was over. Um, I had had a miscarriage um, and I woke up in the night and I was bleeding. It was kind of like around that same idea that I was like, okay, I can do this. We can do this. This is what God wants us to do. We are doing this. Um, So that pregnancy kind of ended before it began. And then it was around that same time too, that I felt God put it on my heart that like we needed another baby. Wow. Um, and I don't know without that miscarriage if we would have had more kids, um, but it was kind of that, that I was like, yeah, the boys need a sibling. Mm-hmm. Like we need, a, like our family's not done. And, and I'd always thought to myself, like even once I had twins, I was like, it feels weird to only be pregnant one time. Sure, like, sure. You know, like I wanted more kids. I just didn't know how physically I was going to have more kids. Yeah. And it was then that I was like, okay, we can do this. 
we went through some genetic testing of Jeff and I because SMA is a genetic diagnosis. Okay. Um, so in science, it says you have to be a carrier of SMA in order to pass on SMA. So Jeff and I had kind of talked like, okay, if, if there's anything else hiding in our DNA, then we're done. So SMA says that with every pregnancy, you have a one in four chance of passing on SMA. And at this point too, uh, the drug that the boys were on was FDA approved. Wow. Um, there was also another drug, uh, gene therapy, that was also approved. And the kids that were getting treatment right at birth are not showing signs of SMA. Mm -hmm. So they are typically developing kids um, that you would never know have SMA. Sure. So that was kind of our thought that was like, okay, if we have another kid with SMA, treatment is available. We have the option of treatment. And maybe they're, they're mildly disabled. Sure. And, and we can handle that. And we know what SMA looks like and does. We can handle a third with SMA. Um, so we did the genetic testing. And the genetic testing actually came back and said we were not carriers of SMA. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've had a lot of genetic testing done. And a lot of doctors ask me if I'm sure that Jeff is the father. Uh, which, <laughs> they'll, like, secretly pull me aside yeah. and be like, are you sure <laughs> Jeff is the father? I, I had a neurologist call me. And he's like, I didn't want to ask in the office, but I just wanted to confirm. Wow. I didn't want to make things awkward. I was like, yes, I am sure. <laughs> oh we actually had Children's National, like, run the DNA without our permission because they were like, well, we just wanted to make sure everybody was who they said. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not lying. Yeah. Wow. Um, so they think the boys are just a random mutation that occurred um, in utero. So they don't really have, like, there's all this science between, like, maybe a silent carrier, maybe this, sure. maybe that. Best case is they don't know. And, yeah. you know, science says that even if we would have done genetic testing prior, wouldn't we wouldn't have, have, like, nothing would have shown up. And we actually probably would have taken longer to diagnose sure. the boys because they were like, you know, we've got two people who aren't carriers, so yep. this can't be SMA. What else can it be? So it was then that we kind of decided to move forward um, with having another baby, um, which is where Eliza comes in. And um, Jeff can kind of talk about parenting her because she's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> yeah. You know, like she's a girl and yeah. she's something. Yeah. And I mean, you know, to this day, she's a daddy's girl and she's got me wrapped around her little finger. Mm -hmm. But you go from getting hit with twins which you don't know any better. That's your mm -hmm. first time around. And then you get dealt with disabled kids, medically fragile. You learn all this stuff. You learn how to be a doctor, a nurse, an advocate. Yeah. You know, this life is like a roller coaster. And then you get what, you know, we joke and call a normie. And like, yeah. we're learning all over again. Yeah. Like we have this new baby. We got all the boy stuff going on. And like, what do we do? And yeah. I always think back to our NICU stay. Like we were there two weeks and like, like, how do people go home with one of these a yeah, day later? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good and luck. So, they taught yeah. us how to change diapers and yeah. use baths. And, um. So we go home. We got a new baby. Got three kids. And, yeah, she is a whole different world of stress. Well, and it's <laughs> just things that we didn't, like, she fell down the stairs because we didn't have a baby yeah. gate at the stairs. Oh, sure. You know, like, it's just because for us, like, I needed to not step over a gate coming down the stairs with the boys and trip. Yeah. But she's a typical kid who needs a baby gate yeah. at the stairs. So it was just kind of like relearning. It's always because, you know, you're multitasking. You yeah. Know, and you're opening doors for the boys, but then you also have another kid running around. Mm -hmm. and doing well, and it's, and it's two different things. Like, yeah. the care for one is not the care for the other. Yeah. She's done such a good job at, like, just adapting to life. Yeah. You know, like, she rolls with the punches. She goes with us. Um, kind of as we made this transition into collective, the boys had an eight-week hospital stay um, yep. to correct their spines. So we stayed in the hospital for eight weeks, um, and she slept in the bathroom because she was still a nursing baby at that oh, point. Yeah. So she was allowed to stay with me. It was just barely prior to COVID. 
so she stayed with us in the hospital and she slept in the bathroom and you know they would come in at night and I'll never forget yelling at one of the techs because he would turn the bathroom light on for Always. light yeah. so, so that he could see, see his stuff monitors. and I was like no there's a baby in the bathroom you know like <laughs> and like all thrown off like, like this man oh. um but, you know, that leads us to another kind of story. I remember you asking for a call with me yep. while we were in the hospital. And it was during that transition of finding a new space and what that new space looked like. And I had such a fear of you calling and telling us that this wasn't the church for us and that this new space wasn't accessible and this wasn't going to work. And I remember saying to Jeff, like, I mean, I was like shaking, like going into that call, just being like, we're going to have to find a new church. Like we are literally in the hospital with our kids and Michael's going to call and say, sorry guys, check you later, <laughs> you know? Um, and I took the call with you and you were asking how to make it accessible yeah. and how to make it work for our family. And I was just like, wait, what? Like, are you, sh you're, you're asking me my opinion on how to make this work? And um, I walked back into the room and Jeff said, he's like, so do we got to find a new church? And I go, no, I think now we have to stay forever. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Yeah. What people don't know, we don't share this a lot because um, it didn't actually end up happening. But the first space we looked at had two floors and the phone call was, hey, if we put an elevator in, what do we need for your boys to both be on an elevator at the same time? I'm on the phone with our contractor and our realtor. Realtor is a follower of Jesus. So he's like, you do whatever you can. But their, their loophole is, if you can offer the same thing upstairs as you can downstairs, it doesn't have to be ADA accept, accessible. And I'm like, well, our kids' ministry would be upstairs in this building that we were looking at. And he's like, yeah, but like, could you put a room downstairs? And it was like, no, we are not putting a room downstairs. These people have trusted us to love their kids and to create space for their kids. And the conversation was, hey, if we do this, like, how do we put an elevator in to get the boys upstairs? Would you guys be comfortable with that? Weirdly enough, that space ends up falling through. Um, which was devastating at the time because we, we were, it was COVID and we were homeless and <laughs> doing things online, which was not, which was fine. And we did it. Um, and then this, this space opened up. And so the next call was different. It was how wide do the hallways need to be, yeah. you know, and not an elevator. One of the reasons why both our bathrooms are handicapped in the new collective kids space is because we, you told Bethany that you guys never, ever get to take both your kids to the bathroom at the same time. I'm like, I, I have to take two of my kids to the bathroom. One's, one's seven and one's four. And I'm like, how do I take them both at the same time? And I'm like, I can't imagine what that would be like. And the thing is, like, that is what you guys deal with. And I don't think your church should be one of those places. In the same way you wouldn't want your home to be one of those places. You make your home fit the boys rather than saying, well, we want a doorway that's this size and they can't fit so they can't go in that room. Yeah. You know, as I'm learning... Right, because this has been a big learning thing for me. And, and Bethany actually has a background in this. Her uh, master's was in special education, which is one of the reasons why we hired her on staff. Because it was like, you know, that we got to have skills in this. But for me, a lot of the conversations with you guys was like, hey, can you teach? Can I ask questions about the boys? And can you teach me about them? Because I didn't want to be insensitive. But it was also like, man, like, how do we get them space? And <laughs> what's remarkable is and a lot of people listening to the podcast, if you don't have kids or your kids are too young, like you never saw the old K through fifth space. We thought the old K through fifth space, what a, what a big space. <laughs> Poor kids can't move back there. Yeah. And opening up the new collective kids space on that first Sunday, um, just hearing the stories about Bryce and James, like wheeling around that entire room. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is why we have to do these things. Yeah. I think about Bryce and James as they get older, at some point they're gonna make a decision to follow Jesus. And it's like, okay, 
Like we're gonna have to figure out how to baptize these kids, yeah. Yeah. and we'll do it. You know, and Talk think about that. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're like, what does that look like? We two we're kids not there can't yet. Swallow. How are yeah. Like, yeah. We'll, make it we'll figure it out, yeah. you know. But yeah, so I think, you know, kind of like come full circle and talk about like life with us, May. Every day is hard. You know, like that's just the bottom line. Like the boys take a lot of us physically and emotionally. Like we have to carry them. We have to pick them up. We have to take them everywhere. Yeah. And I mean, similar to what we said about the Leesburg house, the world closing in. Now we got a much bigger house and still tons of equipment, even more now. We've got two sets of manual wheelchairs. We have standards. We have gate trainers. We have two 500 pound power chairs. We have, you know, it's just. We had to get a bigger van. Yeah. We had to get a Ford Transit, you know, like Kelly's daily driver. I'm sure she always imagined. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, too, we go through lots of seasons and ups yeah. and downs. And like I said earlier, of us picking each other up. Once, but, you know, that the devil is real and he comes at you. And yeah. for us, when you're mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted on a daily basis, because on top of this, too, you know, I have a full time job and I switched jobs during COVID. And wow. again, that was God knocking because commuting when we have all this going on, like yeah. now I work full time remote and. I'm able to do the boys treatment in the morning yeah. and like help Kelly out if she needs throughout the day. Cause like, you know, Kelly's dealing with insurance. She's dealing with therapy four times a week. She's dealing with homeschooling. She did, you know, like yeah. we've always been in this as a team. We got this, you know, like, but another thing that happens every day and every week change, we're always hit with something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we always joke, especially me. Cause I, I need to bite my tongue, but I tend to, sometimes I'm like, all right, got it. You know, we got good. it. We get it. Our yeah. plate is, Overflowing, and then he gives us, and then he'll just like, hit shut you. Shut your mouth. <laughs> what, which was what a broken hip, yeah, a broken or femur, a broken femur, two yeah. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, here we go. Yeah, so yeah. I've learned to not question anymore. <laughs> yeah, like, but, shh, don't let him hear you. But you know, sometimes like we're so focused on filling the boys and Eliza and our family and serving and mm-hmm. doing a lot of serving, but a lot of times, sometimes our faith journey is getting a back seat, not just personally but as mm-hmm. a married couple you yeah. know and it's you well, i think know, it's it's always a work in progress yeah it's yeah. always like, evolving you know we went through a season where we got up at six thirty in the morning to have a cup of coffee together because that was the only time yeah. the two of us got to yeah, alone we and don't now, get date nights on a frequent we have one yeah. person that can help us and yeah. so we might every few months get a date mm-hmm. night or a date day or yeah. you know but we have to be intentional and we have to figure out and we're not perfect at it and mm-hmm. we're constantly adjusting trying to figure out ways because at the end of the day it all goes back to the very beginning of this like mm-hmm. god is the foundation of our faith and our family we literally put him first in all our decisions and all of our prayers and he has mm-hmm. shown time and time again you know not everybody has a testimony like us but our boys literally are miracles from god and we watch that all the time and mm-hmm. all these hardships and all the exhaustion it just all disappears in a minute when something miraculous happens with yeah. them and uh so yeah so life it's always hard but you know we kind of talked about this earlier too about other parents or other families like not wanting to complain or don't know how to act around yeah. um, you know we're not just an open book like always ask questions like we love to tell our story but also everybody's going through different stuff and i always mm-hmm. tell people like nobody's is yeah. harder than another like your heart is your heart yeah, yeah. 
And yeah. that's okay that ours is different. Yeah. And, you know, like we've made the choice that we want to like still enter in friendships with people yeah. who aren't in the same boat as us because we understand that our situation is unique. And, you know, like I want to hear about your kid throwing a scrambled eggs, you know, yeah. like, and I got one of those too now. Yeah. <laughs> but I think too, like this, this SMA community has allowed us to be involved and be advocates. And like, we've had some really cool experiences through it. And we've made some great, like some of my best friends are other moms with kids with SMA. Um, it's also led us through some really dark times because um, kids are still dying like that's the bottom line that even though there are treatments available and and kids are getting better like it's not like the work isn't done you know walking through uh, those dark times with friend after friend you know it it wears on you spiritually Mm -hmm. Um, but that's where like if I didn't have my foundation in faith, I don't know where I would be. Um, because in those dark times, I'm able to kind of lean into God and to, you know, ask him, you know, I don't understand it, but, you know, I hope someday I do. And, um, you know, like Jeff shared, that's like one of the, it's not my fable, favorite Bible verse, but um, Matthew 19, 26 says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, things, all things um, are possible. And, and that's what Jeff was saying. Like, you know, we were told the boys would never sit independently yeah. and we were told they would never use their arms and they would never use their legs. And like, they're doing things that are defining what science said they could do. And, you know, going back to Pastor Jeffrey's prayer over the boys, you know, like through medicine or miraculous healing and, and it's both, you yeah. know, like the boys are doing things that they shouldn't be able to do. And like, it's just this like amazing wonder to be able to watch them and get to witness God's miracles every day. Yeah. And- and I mean, through that, like birthdays are a huge deal in our house. Because mm-hmm. when you go from having a doctor tell you your kids won't see two, in September, the boys will be eight. Like we've been, you know, going on this journey now and mm-hmm. they're thriving. And yeah, yeah, it comes with bumps along the road and it is a roller coaster. But I mean, here we are and we don't know what's to come. I mean, it's mm-hmm. this whole, we went from zero treatments to now there's three approved and tons in the pipeline. Wow. Like you just don't know. It's all, there's so much hope now. Yeah. Like your boys, and people don't know, right? Like all over the world who are going through this treatment, all this stuff. What they don't understand is there are kids and there are families who are taking risks and who are really digging these like super deep ditches to change the world, right? Like other kids that are being born right now with similar disabilities have way more of a future because of kids like Bryce and James. But you would never guess, like, you know, when you get the diagnosis that there would be kids who now have longer lives because of specifically those kids who went through that trial and the risk that you guys took and you know the physical risk but also like the mental and emotional risk of that is leading to more life which is just incredible so for people who are listening who are like i want to learn more what would you suggest um and also for people listening because you know they're you guys serve in collective kids and, and they know like people see bryce and james but they don't they might not know all the number all the letters and all the, all the terminology how can they get involved if they want to learn more about this? Or how, do, how would they even get involved like in support of what you guys support? Sure. Uh, so I think to find out more information, it's probably easiest to go um, to kirasmay.org. Uh, that's kind of like the, the mega bucket of you know everything about SMA, all the different types, all the different treatments, treatments coming up. Um, there's also like walk and rolls that happen. Uh, there's one... Um, every year in Mount Airy that mm-hmm. happens um, in our area, but then they happen regionally. Um, one of the big passions I have is the Fighting for Caden Foundation. So that's a foundation that I'm specifically involved in where we 
donate medical equipment and medical supplies to families for things that insurance yeah. doesn't cover. So that was actually how Bryce and James got their first manual chairs. Wow. Um, and then later they said, come join us. <laughs> yeah. And now it's come full circle. Um, yeah. yeah. The so. gift of their first mobility to now Kelly gets to work with all yeah. types of other families. And wow. send wheelchairs to other kids. So that's my big passion is like getting equipment to, to kids yep. that need it. Before we get to advice and, and scripture, um, I just want to encourage the people that are listening um, and, and maybe you guys could give, this is like kind of a dual advice. You mentioned it earlier. You don't mind when people complain about their kids throwing eggs. How do we, like, how do we best care? You know, when we don't understand, like, like people have shared before on the podcast of like, Hey, we went through this tragic thing. We want you to talk about it. We want you to ask questions. I, I think that's the biggest thing is we feel like this embarrassment. And I, and I felt that like when talking to you guys, like asking questions about, Hey, what do the boys need? I am ignorant to this and I don't want to be, but in order for me not to be, I'd rather not Google things. I'd rather talk to you guys. So give some advice for people listening. How do we ask questions? What questions are you like, would anybody, you know, and, and you answer on behalf of, you know, parents who have kids with disabilities. Um, and not everybody's going to be the same, but like teach us something. Like, how do we get better at this? How do we see things differently? What questions do we ask? And, and tell us your comfort level on that so that we don't tiptoe around these things. Cause we really, I don't think we should. You being on this podcast kind of opens it up to where we can't anymore. Um, but if you could give us a little bit of like help with that. I think just ask, mm-hmm. I think that's the bottom line. And you know, it's not like, it's more too about like asking at the appropriate times, sure. you know, in like the sense teach your kids about other people. Yeah. You know, like the world is not all able-bodied people that, you know, walk on two legs and can get around. And, you know, like even Bryce and James, as disabled as they are, we went into a place and it had a picture of somebody um, with a prosthetic leg. And they were like, what? What do you mean people don't sure. have two legs? Like, I, I even have to sure. teach the disabled kids about other disabled <laughs> yeah. bodies. Like, that's my job as a parent. So, like, you can ask the questions yeah. and, and do all those things. Um, anytime. But I think that the one thing I've struggled with as the boys get older is um, don't ask me when I'm at the park with my kids. Sure. Like, don't send your kid over to me to ask what the suction machine is. That's sure. your job as a parent to teach those things. Yeah. You know, like if, if we are in a close relationship, you can say, hey, what's the suction machine for? And sure. what's it, you know, what's its use? Um, you know, teach your kids to say hi. Don't yeah. shun them away as they're staring. Kids stare. Things are different. Yeah. That's yeah. what happens. Um, teach them to say hi and you move on. And then if they see something about the boys that they want to ask a question, you as the parent decide, is it appropriate to ask that question sure. now? Or do I need to go home and research it as a parent and then teach my child about it? Because sometimes I just want to go to the playground with my kids yeah. and I don't want to educate your kid sure. on my kid's disability. You sure. know? Yeah, which um, isn't your job. But yeah, and I think, you know, in the sense of like, when it comes to like, we've had a lot of friends say like, we want to have you over. What does that look like? Yeah. What do we need? What What does our house need? Like, just ask those questions yeah. and say like, you know, how do we make it work? We want you here. Tell us. Yeah. They're also seven-year-olds. They ask a lot of questions. Yeah. And they're really starting with the Jesus questions, too. And, yep. you know, just as a parent being prepared. But that's the mm-hmm. thing. Kids are kids. Yeah. Like, they're learning from you. So. Yeah. 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 I would say, like, my oldest, Elise, has been with the boys for five years, you know. Not until this conversation, I realized, like, she's never asked me a question about it because she doesn't even notice that's the beauty of children. The problem are parents. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'll say for me, like, again, like learning a lot during this podcast as, as I hear you guys, like, I, I think a lot of our, us default to not asking those things of like, 
you know, hey, what would it be like to spend time together? Because we assume it'll be difficult. And you guys are saying, yeah, it will be. But let us choose mm-hmm. yeah. what difficulties we, we take on and yeah. what obstacles we get through rather than other people projecting that and being like, oh, it must be so hard for you to be a part of these things. Therefore, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you guys are willing to say, we can say no if we have to say no. And we can say yes if we have to say yes. So, which is just very enlightening. And so I would just encourage anybody listening, if you care about these things, advocate for these things, fight for these things, support these things. If you don't feel like you have the right to advocate because you don't have a child with a disability, then support the people who do. You know, it's one of the best things that that we can do as a community and as people who say, hey, this isn't right and this isn't fair. And there should be wheelchair ramps everywhere and playgrounds that are accessible and buildings Mm -hmm. that kids can go into and adults um, who are in wheelchairs or have other disabilities. Um, Even normal parents, like, advocate for your kids. That gut feeling you feel sometimes, the mama knows best or whatever it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All doctors don't know it all. They don't know your kids. You know, mm-hmm. you might have this feeling like something's going on and you need to say this. Say it. Make the extra call. Don't mm-hmm. take no. You know, yeah. all those things. Like, yeah. doesn't just apply to people like us in these crazy, sure. complex situations. Sure. Sure. Uh, again, wisdom is this beautiful gift. We learn in scripture that wisdom was there at the beginning of time. You know, wisdom was with God as he created all of these things, right? And so wisdom is a part of everything. It's part of the, the way we exist. It's a part of life. It's a part of relationships. The beautiful thing about wisdom is that we don't always have to go through hard things to gain it. And um, it is a choice for the sharer to share their wisdom and share what they've been through to say, hey, I've been through this hard thing or I've experienced this low or I've even experienced this great thing. And, and let me share it with you about this. And so it's not just your story. It's what wisdom can you offer us so that for the people listening, when they find themselves in similar places, they go, hey, I know someone's been through that before. And here's what they shared. And I trust them. So let me let me take some of this to heart. So what wisdom would you share for everybody listening? And this could be about raising boys with disabilities. It could be about trials. It could be about anything in your story. There's a lot of things you could you could kind of hit on. But if there was like one big piece of advice that you could give to people listening, what would that be? And Kelly, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, I feel like mine's a little bit on the reverse side, and it's more about how you can support families sure. going through hard times. Um, Jeff and I have seen throughout the years that kind of when the boys were first diagnosed, we had this huge support system that of like all these people who kind of stepped in and, and you know surrounded us, and then their lives went back to normal. And our life didn't, um, you know, and we have these seasons where they're a little quieter and things are calmer, but at the end of the day, like every day is hard in our house, you know, just physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, everything is hard. Um, but we do it. And, uh, you know, then something hard will happen that's kind of publicly hard. And then we get this like big pour of support again. So, um, I think just like taking action on those families that you can help. Um, Jeff and I are people pleasers by nature, so it's really hard for us to ask for sure. help. So if somebody's like, what do you need? We're like, nothing, we're fine. Don't, yeah. don't, <laughs> don't do anything. <laughs> um, but like we learned with this last hospital stay that was kind of un- unexpected and where we had to split up and I took James and he stayed home with Bryce and Eliza, that the people that stepped in and just sent the gift cards without asking sure. to send the gift cards and the people that sent dinner and showed up at our door with gifts for the kids because they knew the boys were having a hard time being split up, like that meant so much to us yeah. to just have people step in and say like we got you this time is hard we got you and um that's something i've been trying to do more of because i realized that like our life is kind of always a storm because sure. you know it is hard but if there's somebody that i see going through something like i can send a gift card you know like 
I can pray for you and I can tell you I'm praying for you, but I can also do something to show you that I care for you and care for your family. And I think that's just important to like make sure you're taking care of the people in your life. Yeah, that's really good. You know, just boiling it down to as simple as love God, love people, and choose joy at the end of the day. You know, to circle back to music again, there's a song, Old Church Choir, and it says, you know, nobody can steal my joy. Like, I control me. Yeah and the way I treat people and the amazing conversations I've had about faith when I never actually told someone I'm a Christian. It's just like how I act, how I present myself, how I treat the CEO to how I treat the janitor or a kid or anybody, you know, say hi, just be nice. And life is just too short to be unhappy. Like, so choose joy, you know, that's That's good. All right. This is my favorite part of the podcast. Uh, I love asking people their, their favorite Bible verses. It's cool how, you know, when we read scripture, there's so much we can learn from it. But when we read it, there's one or two that just kind of sit. And maybe we read them at the right time, right? It's God giving us that word at, at, at that perfect moment. Maybe it's the one that we read that we like didn't think about for a long time, but eventually you're seeing it play out in like these very real ways. You're like, oh man, I get that now. But if there was uh, one or two verses, things that kind of sit in your soul, and, and these are things you hold on to in those low days, right? They're, they're kind of what gets you through it. But in the high days, they're what remind you of, of how good God is. Um, what would those be? And Jeff, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah. And mine was actually said a couple weeks ago, but uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Uh, it was a favorite of mine before the boys and throughout it, it has stuck with me and People would text it to me out of the blue, not knowing it's my favorite verse. It's like, and during all those hard times, and it's yeah, trust, relying on that faith. You don't have to understand it all. That's good. Um, yeah, and so um, mine is Joshua one nine. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, and do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Um, and for me, that's actually the one we pray over the boys a lot um, because what they have to do is hard. They have um, heart appointments, they have a lot of blood work, they have a lot of surgeries, things like that. So um, we pray with the boys to be brave, to be mm-hmm. brave and courageous and um, for God to give them the strength. Um, so that's that's just one that's kind of constantly um, being prayed over them. And, and even me, you know, like when I'm going into a hard situation, I'm like, you know, make me brave, make me bold, <laughs> make me courageous. Um, and the other thing is that um, we pray that God goes first. Everywhere we go, um, you know, we know that God is with us, and I ask that he goes first um, in any appointment, any situation, and um, he just makes things clear for us. Yeah. It's one of the beautiful things about God is that he promises he goes before us. Guys, I, I'm so thankful. I said this earlier, and I'm just going to say it again. Collective is a better church because you guys are here. And our collective kids, there is no, like, competition in church of, like, you put, you know, one church up against another see who has the best children's ministry. Um Behind the scenes, I'm like, I think what we do at Collective runs circles around what churches do. And I think Collective Kids is one of those things. And I, I know we are not where we're at with Collective Kids without you guys. And I know there are a lot of families who have kids who feel safe in that space and who are learning and growing. Um, and you guys went first in that in a really big way. And so it's a huge honor for me um, to be able to lead a church that does that well, but understanding that like, We only do that well because people gave us the grace to figure out how to do it well. And it means a lot. I appreciate you guys so much. Um, Your faith is incredible. Uh, Your marriage is incredible. 
But one of the best things that you shared through this whole entire thing is how you understand where your foundation comes from. And I hope people really take that to heart, no matter what they're going through, is when you have the right foundation, you can get through these really difficult, unknown things. Not going to be easy. Uh, doesn't mean there won't be tears and anger and all the emotions that you feel, but it means that you can still be standing when you get through it. And so thank you guys so much for sharing. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you.